Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you are joining me as we wrap up another week of broadcast. It's Friday, but Sunday is coming. And so I hope that this weekend you are planning to worship somewhere in a good Bible-believing church that believes in spreading the gospel, uh, that believes in fellowshipping together that believes in teaching the Word of God verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Be part of the body of Christ. And maybe as you're listening to me today, you have lost some of your energy, right? You have lost some of your zeal. It's so easy for that to happen, right? Well, today I want to talk to you about how to be energized by God's grace. And we're looking at the book of Galatians to find the answer to this question of how can I be full of energy? Uh, Well, number one, oftentimes we lose our energy because we have a conflict in our lives. Chuck Swindoll said that life is 10% of what happens to you and 90% of how you react to it. And so when there's conflict in our lives, that tends to be demoralizing. That tends to, to drain us of our energy. So if you want to be energized by God's grace, Galatians 2.11 says, When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him face to face because he was clearly in the wrong. So number one, confront the falsehood, but confront it graciously and confront it face to face. Say, this is why this is wrong, and I'm coming to you face to face. You know, in Amos it says, Can two walk together? unless they are agreed. Surely the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants and to the prophets. Now, it's very clear from these verses that we just read in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, uh, that false teaching had entered into the church of Galatia, and it had to be confronted. It had to be dealt with directly by church leadership. Now, Paul says, charge certain persons not to teach any doctrine that is false. First Timothy 1.3. Paul also emphasizes this point to Titus. In Titus 1, speaking of the role of an overseer, he says, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. So is there somebody in your life that is causing you to lose your zeal, and is something that is not right between the two of you, well, confront that person. Confront the falsehood and confront it graciously, but face to face. Now, I know this is not an easy thing to do. In a generation that is obsessed with political correctness, nevertheless, it is needed at times for the ultimate good of God's people. You see, churches need to speak the truth in love. Churches exist primarily to proclaim and to live in the truth of the gospel revealed in Scripture. In 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul calls the church a pillar and a buttress of truth, meaning that in the midst of this crazy world that is full of false teaching, it is the church's responsibility to uphold the truth of Scripture for all to see. And no myths, no speculations should be allowed to enter into the church. It's not only important to confront 
false teachers and uphold the truth, it's equally important that we do it the right way, with kindness, teaching patience, and gentleness. Look what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponent with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of truth, and they may escape from the snare of the devil after being captured to do his will. Now, when it comes to confronting people, I found it's more the thought of confronting people is very draining, right? As a matter of fact, the thought and the preparation of a confrontation is often more tiresome than the actual confrontation itself. So, prayerfully and graciously, but face-to-face, confront that person who is teaching falsehood. You will be energized as you make this confrontation. Number two, stand in the truth of the gospel. Knowing what I'm for, stand up for the truth. Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Paul says, We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law. How is he justified? By faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will ever be justified. So our heart should never be to condemn people with the knowledge of truth, but to save them from the deception of Satan. You see, these verses teach us that false teachers and those who follow their teachings are prisoners of Satan. They are held captive to his will. Satan is the source of false teaching, and our war is against him and his deception. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds, redestroy the arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive. You know, at the end of this chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul in verse number 18 gives a charge to Timothy, and he says, wage to good warfare. Now, the reason that Paul charges Timothy to oppose false teaching is because it robs the gospel of its good news. It shipwrecks people's faith. Only the true gospel can keep people on that right course. Paul has this major concern, right? He says the aim of our charge is love. That's what drives his pure heart. It's not compromising the truth. It is a drive of love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So Paul says that certain persons, they're swerving from these. They have wandered away into vain discussions. 
desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they have made confident assertions. So here we are reminded that we must stand in the truth of the gospel. We're not to be swayed by those who want to observe the law, those who think they can be justified by being a good person. We stand in the truth of the gospel. This is what I'm for. I'm for the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, that we are saved and sanctified and justified by the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And then number three, that requires patiently seeking reconciliation. This is what only God can do, right? I'm for the gospel. I stand for the gospel. I proclaim the gospel. That's what I do. I confront the falsehood. This is why this is wrong. But when it comes to reconciliation, I realize that only God can bring about reconciliation. So I patiently seek reconciliation, waiting on God to do what only he can do. And now Peter wrote these timely words in 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him, he writes in the same way in all of his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are very hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures, to their own destructions. And so here we are reminded that it's the Lord's patience that brings about salvation or brings about reconciliation. Think about how patient God has been with you. When I think about how patient God is with me, it is mind-boggling. I would have given up on myself a whole long time ago, but God has been patient with me. I have been crucified with Christ, yet I now live. So patiently wait upon the Lord for reconciliation. Now, as I think about waiting on the Lord for reconciliation, I told you on a previous broadcast, I read a book called The 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting. So when you look at prayer and fasting, it is so necessary to bring about that reconciliation. You know, when you make a major decision for the Lord, make sure that that decision has been preceded with much prayer and much fasting. You know, my wife and I were deciding to move to Chesapeake, Virginia. I felt like the Lord was leading us before my wife felt like the Lord was leading us. And so I patiently waited, right? Now, I could have said, now, honey, uh, this is what we're going to do. And she would have gone along with it. But I said, I'm going to wait patiently upon the Lord. And so we, for a year, prayed and we had other people praying for us in regards to God guiding us. I didn't want it to be an emotional decision. I didn't want it to be a decision that was based on a false premise or, or wrongly motivated. I really wanted to do God's will, and I only wanted to follow His will. I was in a good place in the church that I was serving at. I've been serving in that church for many years, and I said, why do I want to leave something good and to step into the unknown? And we were blessed uh, that we were well taken care of where we were serving, but we just felt like the Lord was leading us to start a church, and, and I had no knowledge about how to start a church. I really had no desire even to start a church. 
I knew that God had called me into the ministry, and I was one of these guys that was reluctant to go into the ministry. I mean, I always thought there was a better way to, to take care of my family financially than being in the ministry. And I saw how pastors, in many cases, were poorly compensated. And I grew up in a home where my dad was an itinerant pastor. And so uh, I saw the struggles that we went through financially as a family. And I said, there's got to be a better way for me to provide for my family. But God called us to do what he called us to do. So after a year of praying and fasting, uh, we moved to Chesapeake, trusting God that he would work things out trusting that we were right in the center of his will, that we were not wrongly motivated, that we were following his will. And so the way that we were starting as a church has a very high percentage of failure, right? Churches that get started with just one family moving to an area without having a team, without having a denominational backing, without having a bunch of money, uh, without having a bunch of connections, 95% of those churches fail within the first five years. And so I realized that the odds were stacked against us in being successful. But I also knew that when God calls you to do something, it doesn't matter what the stats are. Uh, It doesn't matter what other people think or what other people say. Uh, You just follow the Lord, and, and He works things out. You know, God's work done God's way will never lack God's resources. So I'm happy to announce that God has taken care of us uh, in a wonderful way in these almost 26, 27 years that we have been serving Him. And He'll do the same for you. Patiently wait upon the Lord. When you think about contentment, are you content where God has placed you? Paul tells us that he had to learn contentment. He says, I've learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. So Christian contentment is the God-given ability to be satisfied with the provisions of God in all circumstances. Now, he promises us that he's going to take care of all of our needs. I mean, Philippians 4.19 is very clear that my God will supply all of my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Financial commitment is not found in our wealth. You know, there's no prizes for those who have the most things. There's no prizes for those who get it all and can't all they can get. I believe that God wants us to trust Him in all matters of our lives. And God wants us to trust Him in our financial situation. In His Word, He promises us that if we seek Him first, everything that we need will be given to us. He is the answer for all of the needs that we have, everything that we face. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. Now, the dilemma is that we live in a very materialistic world. And we live in a world in which the church is not immune from the materialism that we are facing. If we are not content in Him, we will never be satisfied with what He provides. We live in a society that likes to be in control. We don't like to be unhappy. We don't like to be in need. We are easily dissatisfied and disappointed with the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Without contentment, we will always want more. We will always want the best of everything, the name brands the high-end items, 
the most toys in the latest models. Sadly, we often justify the practice of this attitude, especially when God has enriched us financially. Many people will even overextend their credit cards to get the things that they want. But the Lord tells us in His Word to keep our lives free from the love of money. How easy it is to forget that God provides for the life that is founded on faith. Craving wealth disrupts our moral character and distracts us from the things that are important to God. Learning to be content is one of life's greatest blessings. In Psalm 37, David's life experiences teach us that God both protects us and He provides for His own. He wants us to trust Him for our needs, not our bank accounts. The Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians displayed a spirit of contentment and gratitude. He was so encouraged by the church, and he urges them to focus their gaze on Christ. And as they're focusing their gaze on Christ, they would become unified. They weren't to focus on their wealth. They were to focus on Christ and being unified. He preached that contentment and joy was not based upon circumstances. You know, he knew their experiences and that God would provide for them. He knew how to be happy and content, both in abundance and in the lack of abundance. He knew that Christ was his ultimate strength and his ultimate provision. You know, he taught us to be satisfied in Christ and Christ alone and not in things. We will never be satisfied with getting the most of things. We will always be satisfied in getting the most in Christ. But what a wonderful lesson for us to learn. Being content in Christ alone, and not in our position, not in our possessions, not in our power, not in our personal wealth. You know, Paul was a Pharisee. As a Pharisee, Paul had lived a life of affluence, a life of influence, but he chose to look for opportunities to lift up the hearts of other believers. And as he did that, he encouraged those who were feeling overwhelmed. You see, being content financially gives us an awesome sense of satisfaction in what God provides. It comes from knowing and having that satisfaction that we are going to trust God and His provision. You know, when you think about contentment, contentment is resting in God's sufficiency, resting in His faithfulness, resting in His goodness. Those of you who know me know that I battle uh, claustrophobia. I hate to be in small, closed-in spaces. That's why I don't like to get on a plane. I'm not afraid of the plane falling out of the sky. I'm afraid of being trapped in a plane. I have learned a secret to overcoming my claustrophobia. I live in that moment. I enjoy the contentment. I no longer look at the airplane as this place that I'm trapped. I look at the airplane now as this place that is protecting me, protecting me from being sucked out and and falling to the air. As I think about contentment, it's a moment-by-moment understanding. It's trusting God in that particular moment, not worrying about the future, not regretting the past, living in that particular moment. You see, Paul trusted God completely 
Yet he knew what it was like to be abased. He knew what it was like to be treated with disdain and to be disrespected and to be seen as less than deserving. You know, I can attest to the experience of what it feels like to be abased. It can be humiliating when you feel rejected, when doors are closed in your face. I remember when we started the church. I went out and I knocked on doors and I invited people to come to church. And, and I remember I pulled into one particular uh, home and, and I parked my car in the street because I had one of those old cars that leaked oil. And so I parked on the street so that the oil wouldn't drain on the driveway of this home that I was about to visit. And I knocked on the door of this home and, and a man answered the door and, and I shared with him about our church and I was trying to share the gospel with him and I, and I wasn't getting too far. And I'll never forget what he, he said to me. He says, I don't think that I need the God that you have. You need the God that I have. And he looked over my shoulder and he says, is that your car parked out in the street? And I said, oh yeah, that's my car parked out in the street. He said, uh, as you look at my house and you look at the cars that are in my garage, uh, I think that I have a better God than you have. Uh, look what you're driving and look what I'm driving. I can imagine where you're living is not as nice as the place where I am living. And as I was listening to that man, I admit that the guy had a point, right? He was better off financially than I was. He disdained me for giving him the gospel because he felt like he had a one-up on me. He felt like he was in a better position than I was. But I want you to know, you will never find satisfaction in things. You will never find joy in things. I recently did a funeral of one of our members who was part of our church for a very long time. And I was dealing with the widow, the wife who lost her husband. And as a widow, I knew she was going to face an abundance of challenges as she was trying to keep her business together and uh, trying to keep uh, the affairs of, of her home together. And this particular lady is strong in the Lord, but she's never had the opportunity to handle the responsibilities of the day-to-day operations of the business, and, and she felt overwhelmed. She was trying to figure out how she was going to keep everything together. I shared with her that God was going to take care of her needs. I didn't know exactly how that was going to work out, but I knew that God was going to take care of her needs. And I said, maybe God's going to raise up some family members that can help you with this business. And she was a little bit discouraged about that because the family members that she knew were not in close communion and a good relationship with God. But as a result of the passing of her husband, her family members recommitted their lives to Christ. I'm happy to report that just this last Sunday, this widow came to church with her granddaughter. And her granddaughter is the one that got grandma up for church that Sunday. It says, you know what? We need to go to church. God has blessed us and God has given us this business. Oh yeah, we've had some heartaches in our family, but we need to go to church and we need to be right with God. I'm so happy to report that this widow who is so worried about the business now has a granddaughter and a grandson who are helping her to navigate through this difficult time in her life. You see, God always will step in at just the right time. You see, God is going to take care of your needs as well. He will always provide. He will always take care of you. You see, God is still taking care of me, and he will take care of you as well. The Bible tells us that the Lord of hosts, 
He is the one that will throw open the windows of heaven. He is the one that you can trust. He's going to pour down blessings upon you until you have no more room to be able to to receive all of these blessings. So trust in the Lord. Live a life that is dependent upon Him, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Well, it's Friday afternoon, and it will soon be Sunday. As you enter into another weekend, will you worship the Lord this weekend? Why not come down to Hickory Ridge Community Church and worship with us? We have a service at 9 o'clock. We have a service at 1045. I would love to see you. Every Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. So come on and join us this weekend. And if I can pray for you, please shoot me a text, 252-267-2365. That number one more time is 252-267-2365. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening to the broadcast today. May you have a, a refreshing weekend. Maybe a weekend that is filled with joy and laughter as you celebrate this time with your family. God bless you. Thank you again for listening to the broadcast. I'm going to give you that number one more time. If I can pray for you, please shoot me a text. I would be honored to pray for you. That number is 252-267-2365. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. We will talk again on Monday. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.